Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 18, with Fan Brands. Episode 18 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today we have the pleasure of having two guests on the show Bill Frederick, principal and creative director of the New Jersey sports branding agency Fan Brands, is joining the show. Uh, we also have Michael Raish, who is a senior designer and new media director of the agency. Fan Brands is an agency that builds brands that connect with fans. Uh, they've done work for the MLB, NASCAR, and many professional sports brands, including working for the last 20 years uh, on the MLB All-Star Identity and Branding. Welcome to the show, Bill and Michael. I appreciate you guys taking the time to come aboard. Hi, Adam. Hey, it's Hi. nice to be here. And I uh, love your podcast. Uh, so it's been great. I'm glad you, uh, that you, you know, serve our, our creative niche um, in sports branding and sports design. Awesome. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate bringing some legitimacy to uh, to the to the industry and and uh, the group on Twitter, the community you've created there. It's awesome. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. It's been it's been pretty fun. So I gave a, a bit of a brief introduction to you guys and and the agency. However, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit more in depth about your backgrounds. Bill, why don't we start with you and and you tell us a little bit about your history and the founding of Fan Brands, and then Michael, after Bill, why don't you jump in and then tell us a little bit about your career and uh, landing at the agency as well. Sure. All right. Uh, so thanks, Adam. I love your podcast. We're big fans here. Thank you. In terms of my, in terms of my history, I, I kind of came into this business completely serendipitously. Um, when I, uh, I went to school for interior design at FIT, and uh, after, uh, after that, I, I actually pursued a more industrial design, uh, wood design program that had just gotten launched at a SUNY New Pulse uh, campus. And it was, uh, it was an unbelievable uh, shop with uh, 7,000 square foot with all these great tools. And I was, I was really excited because basically at that time, my, my ambition was to be an architectural woodworker and designer. So anyway, I, basically I, in, in my senior portfolio project, I built this spiral staircase out of mahogany in this home. And I had all the drawings and I photographed it. I, at that time, 1980, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get this into a beautiful portfolio. So I'm thinking almost like, a, you know, what would look like in a magazine spread. And at that time, you just couldn't scan stuff in. There was no computers. You know, uh, you couldn't, you know, there, there just wasn't the tools to do it. So I asked for help. I asked my dean of the department, said, how do I do this thing? And he said, you really, what you really need to do is do a press proof. And that press proof will be, become like the pages you're talking about. So he said, I think you should get a job as a mechanical artist and you'll be able to do this thing at night. So basically that's what I did. So I kind of talked my way into a job as a mechanical artist. You know, and, and from there, I started doing this thing and learning how to do it and started building it at night. And a couple of years into this thing, I'm almost about three quarters of the way finished. And I uh, get an offer to set up an art department for a bank that had like 78 offices. So it was basically, I was able to buy all the equipment, hire people. It was really an awesome job. Several years after that, I get an offer for, from an ad agency to do uh, basically the time it was called corporate identity. A number of years into that, um, a friend of mine, uh, Tom Froberg, and I, we were doing a bunch of freelance. The freelance was getting to the point where it was kind of getting in the way of, 
of our life. Um, so we basically we started a shop in uh, 87 called Frederick and Froberg Design Office. Very cool. Very cool. Michael, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your career and getting on the, at Fame Brands? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I would jump in with a, you know, it's interesting with the, the community that you build. And I want to say that too, with, with uh, what you're doing on Twitter and how you're kind of collecting us all together and giving us a voice is, is really cool. And, and, you know, it's, it's exciting seeing that now having all that, uh, the way we're all connected now in sports branding. So thanks for that. And, um, you know, something I've heard on your podcast before is sort of like you have people that you've, you've talked to and they, they kind of want to get into sports branding. Like, how do I jump into that industry? And, and sort of like the way Bill is, you know, I've always been a creative person. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily speak out, seek out a, a path to sports branding. Um, I knew Bill, uh, I went to school. I went to uh, Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers. And um, one of his staff was, uh, oh, got very close friends with her. And she went on to work with them full time. I branched off. I went to New York for a bit. I worked at ABC Network Television. That's where I kind of got my first real start in, in, in design. Uh, they worked very similar to like how we work with Major League Baseball's design service. They, ABC had a dedicated group. And uh, I was there as an intern. They hired me back the next season. Um, and then that was a short thing. And then I, I found my way back to to Bill and met them and, and, you know, had heard really good things and, and they had a great reputation. This is, um, I'm actually lapping uh, 10 years working with Bill. So this was uh, early January, 2005. And they, they, they just had a, a killer portfolio then with Hot Wheels and they were known with all this baseball all-star work. And it just sounded like a place that would have a lot of possibilities for me. And here I am at Famarance. Very cool. Congrats on the, uh, on the 10 years there. That's awesome. It's rare these days. Very, it seems rare hey, these days. Listen, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's also, it's also a testament to the kind of work that we do here that it's really interesting projects that keep, like we were talking earlier on our, our notes here about all this, this work and yeah, the decade of work I've done with Bill. And it's, it's, it's really cool how the all-star games, just as an example, how they, they take on the spirit of the city. We'll talk more about all this, but they always, it always is a new and different project and a different logo every time. So, right. yeah, that's how you do it. Right. One of the things I think I should t- tell you is, is really is how, I mean, we, we you know, in, back in 87, when we started Frederick and Frederick Design Office, we were really working for, it was like, you know, we were just basically a, a startup design firm and we kind of started working for Prudential and 9X and AT&T. We did some yeah, reports for Columbia University but really, our transition to sports is really a very good, kind of interesting story because we were working with all those very, you know, big corporations, um, and but we were also doing some uh, some uh, print promotions, which they don't do a whole lot of anymore, but it was kind of experimental printing. It was really a lot of fun. We were working with a print shop out there, kind of a high-end print shop called Dolan Wallers, and they happened to be the print shop that did all the Adidas work. Um, Adidas was, at the time, was uh, was in Liberty Corners. That was their headquarters. So... Adidas was basically was interested in, in replacing their New York design firm to help produce all these all their collateral, and they asked the, the printer. They said, "Hey, do you know any printers at design firms out here that you know we could talk to?" So Dolan Wallace introduced us to uh, Adidas, and Adidas hires us, and that was really kind of the beginning because within you know we started out building building out all of their you know all of the Adidas inline catalogs, and within three years, our the, the creative director there, Ann O.C., gives us a call and said, guess what? I have a new job. And she, uh, she had basically been headhunted and was hired to set up an art department for major league baseball. And that really was a 
quite a, quite a, you know quite a turning point for our firm because that really kind of opened the door to working with all the leagues you know with NBA, NHL, NFL, MLS, USTA, NASCAR, the whole thing. Well, that's great. I mean, it's definitely a testament to how important relationships are in these industries. I am curious. So, so you you started, you know, your your sort of boutique design firm. How did you start kind of getting these sort of big brands? It seemed like you got them like pretty pretty quick. You know, not not necessarily maybe in the sports world, but like the Prudentials of the world and AT and T and Mattel and those types of things. You know, I, I really don't know. I mean, we, you know, we, I think we had a couple of good breaks early on. We got some, we had some really good portfolio pieces kind of right out of the box, I think. Um, while we were, while Tom and I were freelancing, we had done a couple, you know, a couple of really nice projects. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, carrying those around, we kind of, you know, we, we were able to get into some doors and, and you know, people liked our, people liked our, our work. So we just, you know, it's really, it's kind of, I don't know how, how it happened. You know, we just, we, I guess we, they liked us and they gave us more work and um, it kind of just went from there. I was going to say, once you get a couple of those under your belt, it sort of starts to help establish credibility, which led you into some of the Adidas stuff. And then that's what, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, led you into the MLB stuff. So you, you guys have been working with the MLB basically since that time, right? Yeah, from the very beginning, from the absolute beginning, to about 24 years. Cool. So it's it, it's not unusual to see a lot of times in different uh, categories, whether, you know, you're on some design blog and looking at, what industry is, is let's target this by industry so we can like view this work or, or these types of things. It's not unusual to see sports and entertainment sort of loop together. So uh, you guys were at uh, Frederick and uh, Froberg, you guys sort of targeted the sports niche and this entertainment niche and then decided to sort of like break those off into these separate categories. I'm curious about that decision to move specifically into sports alone. Uh, and then and I'm curious, that being sort of your, I guess, quote unquote, sister agency, is there still a, a back and forth that happens there where somebody may come to you because of your connections and you shoot them over that way? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, so I mean, what happened was, uh, yeah, so lifestyle entertainment and sports are related because of licensing. And our, you know, we really had a, a real deep experience with Mattel very, very early on, like when we just started and really got to start to understand um, basically the relationship between the brand owner and all of the way that all of the way that the brand is activated. So, you know, we have embroidery and screen printing and print on you know, paper. We have embossing. We have so we have all these kind of activation techniques that are very, very important to the licensees. Um, that, so that's, so that's common on both the entertainment and the sports side. So that's really kind of what brings us to those areas. And, and so and they, so they have a lot of a common, you know, in, in, in the case of the brand owner for a sports brand or a, or a, life, a, a property brand, so whether it's Disney or Major League Baseball, they have a lot of the same kinds of uh, interests, you know, in terms of that, that side of the business, the property side. So that's really, and so I think that as we go through the years, uh, what happened was I was, it was more of a natural, uh, a natural break where, I was managing all the sports brands for uh, over a decade and Tom was managing all the lifestyle entertainment brands. And those were really, and there's more nuances to the specialties in those both areas. So um, on our 25th anniversary to the day, we uh, turned it, turned it into uh, fan brands and he, he turned his company into Styleworks creative. And uh, so he does, he does continues to do work for, you know, universal or Disney or Nickelodeon or that's those sorts of companies. And we're doing the, we're doing the sports. So it was a very natural uh, uh, kind of break. And we, yes, we'd still do, uh, collaborate on projects. Oh. Very cool. So what we've seen, uh, with, with like media and, and obviously the internet 
and uh, you know all this all these digital social networks and things like that. Uh, there there has to have been this transition from uh, when you activated a brand back. Uh, you know, in the early '90s, early to mid '90s, to where we are now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that transition? And do you think that it was tougher back then in some of these brand activations, or or today? Oh God, it's like so. Good that's question. A, it's good a, question. That's a very good Whoa. question. It, it, has, it, has, it has evolved quite a bit. I mean, there's so good many word. differences in so many ways. Um, I mean, this is just talk about an all-star game. I mean, an all-star game, our first job in sports was an all-star, was the all-star logo for the 1992 you know, all-star game in, in, in uh, San Diego. And back then, I mean, we really had, I mean, we really created a very few uh, pieces of art. We had a primary logo, probably a one-color logo, and we had very little art that went with it. I mean, today, there's an enormous list. I mean, we basically do a primary mark. We broadcast mark. We do word marks. We do all-stars. Like we have these uh, other other event marks that are, are surrounding it. We have like ASG. We've got uh, we got theme art. We've got background art. So it's a tremendous amount of art. And not only that, but basically the transition has gone. Back then, I mean, we literally used to create floppy disks mm. that would get taped to like these little holders to cardboard. Use <laughs> yeah. the cardboard they're, and get FedExed around. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cool pieces of the archives of the studio. We were, we were working on it. We're going to do an introspective film about some of that. And we're like, look at the old CDs from 2000. This is like amazing. Oh yeah. That's like antiques to something. Yeah. But, uh, and then we went to oh, jazz drives and the CDs. Good, yeah, went online. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but actually one of the big things we did actually as part of this whole transition is we built the kind of the enterprise uh, brand asset management websites for major league baseball and for NHL. So these basically manage uh, thousands and thousands of pieces of art. Um, all of their, you know, all their primary branding, all of their teams, all the team branding, all of the event branding, um, all of, just every actually every piece of official art that that is managed, you know, and uh, to you know by the either of those you know either of those leagues is managed through these websites. And so it's a much much more efficient way to distribute the art. Um, it's obviously it's all password protected. We manage who gets in and out and what they mm. get access to. And those are so. Those are really, and, you know, that's kind of a side. I mean, we're obviously designed for it, but we actually somehow got into this building these sites, these uh, style guides, which really started with basically building these little collections of, of floppy disks. Hard, you know, like hard, yeah, physical. Thing. And so we just kept trying to think of the better way to do it, the better way to do it, and trying to keep up with technology because technology was now, you know, at some point we were doing we were doing CDs, then we we're doing CDs and web, and obviously the connection speeds were very slow. But at some point, you know, we were able to. Just, Move it all to uh, online, and uh, and so basically, it was, we, our our goal there was really uh, to create these really user friendly interfaces. So, our primary goal in that really was there, there are there were asset management sites out there which were basically lists of, of assets, and the kind of the sites that we built yeah, no, for no, NHL no visuals, nothing, yeah. no previews, you couldn't see what you were downloading, stuff like that. Yeah, and so the, so the sites that we built for NHL and for Major League Baseball are very visual. And they, yes. because we understand that the people who use those are all branding people, they're marketing people or designers. So when I, you know, if a if a company, if New Era sits down, they're going to do a project. They basically want to see. They need to see the art that they're going to work with. So we we know that they're more visual than they are. Uh, you know, they, instead of looking at a list, they want to show them what the assets are, so they really understand what the brand is about, especially with special events, to really understand the full scope of what kind of art, what the art package looks like from A to Z. Right. And I think uh, something that's interesting that actually interests me about that particular project is if we look at design, uh, you know, design at its most basic definition is is solving problems. 
mm. and be that through visual form or nowadays through business form or idea form or that type of thing. And what you guys did there was solve a problem where maybe you had to, you were able to have less, the MLB was able to have less middlemen and things like that in terms of when somebody emails them, I need this logo and that type of thing. You put that all in one place. Was that an idea that you actually pitched to the MLB or was that something that, that sort of just sprung about serendipitously? Well, no, actually, that was just an evolution. I mean, really, it was an evolution only because we uh, <laughs> talk about going back in time, dating ourselves. When we came to baseball back in, uh, you know, back in 91, um, was it within a couple of years, we basically, you know, they, they used ad slicks at the time. So basically, these programs were quite simple. The logos were stats of stats. And these might, that, those terms might not even make any, make, make, mean anything to you. But back in the day, they used really these very large cameras and um, so they basically kept photographing uh, a logo and they kept getting, you know, there's generations that would kind of get decayed. It was really, so basically our job um, very early on was to translate all those onto computer, digital, digital, which was basically nobody, almost nobody was doing it at the time. And we basically, uh, basically got traced up every logo, actually addressing all these issues where the logos had been so fragmented and, and kind of degraded that we were basically having to say, hey, the Yankee logo, they don't really mean it to be this. Yeah, plugged up. There's like yeah. like mistakes in it. That, yeah, and I've even personally spotted them. It was, you know, so anyway, so we were, we were able to. Stuff, yeah. So anyway, so the evolution started with us basically, you know, digitizing the entire library of all the club art, and then providing it on floppy disk. And then and then next 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 era was uh, jazz drives, and yeah. then next was CDs. So really, we were in this path of like, we're always trying to figure out how to distribute these the best possible way. Um, and then, and when it came, when the web was possible, it was the best possible solution because changes happen all the time. And that way, once we did it, it wasn't fixed in stone, you know, set in stone, like a CD or a floppy disk, we were able to do a change. And now we, now we're able to do a simple email blast to everybody and say, Hey, there was a change to one of the clubs. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I'd say furthermore, Adam, to jump in and then to fill in the, the decade, even, even in the time where I came in, you know, it was interesting of, uh, Designers at the time leaving school in like the, the early 2000s, the big thing they were pushing was then Flash. That was the next generation. And what was interesting that we we had discovered really with that system is like we're talking about middlemen. You couldn't you couldn't turn a file fast enough because we would have sudden changes with baseball. They'd say that logo's you know the the legal had changed. You know we need to flip it immediately. And this was a time when you know we would have a, we had another web partner then. You know this is like 2000 six or five, you know, you'd have to call in a change. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, is uh, when we relaunched, so we relaunched NHL's online style guides in 2011, and then we did baseballs in 2013. And the other part of the, the coin with that was we, we, we launched them a system where we could immediately drag and drop files for uploading and immediate changes. And they were just like totally thrilled with that. That it's kind of like the Squarespace model where it gives the access back to the user and they can edit it themselves. Right. That, it was just interesting you were talking about just how, how did it go all the way from the 90s now and things just got faster. Everything had to be done quicker, you know, and, and even doing a logo change, you know. Right. You, you guys worked on uh, back years ago in the 96 Atlanta Olympics. Um, I've actually mentioned before – uh, in an episode with um, actually episode 14, John Trotter of 4040 Agency. I don't know if you guys happen to hear that one or not, but he he worked at Nike at that time and he worked on the uh, Nike's um, version of the Olympic brand. And that's sort of one of the first times that I sort of really discovered, I guess, graphic design. So I was just curious if, if you guys happened to um, cross paths back then uh, with, with John. 
You know, we did not. I don't. I, I didn't have the pleasure, but uh, but uh, we 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 worked we worked for about two years on that project. It was a, you know, quite a we had a really really lot of fun. We did a lot. Of, I mean, we we really worked out the all the properties angle. You know, the property side of it. You know, we could. You know, the, it was a private kind of extensive licensing program that we had to portray, and you know, basically in, in uh, catalogs, basically print catalogs at the time, and uh, you know, we hang tag system. You know, all that kind of packaging and that sort of thing. So when you so when you the '96 Atlanta Olympics official licensed licensed marks what what I guess it's you know you designed the logo and style guide for that so what does that really sort of entail I mean are we talking like the the logo of the Olympics like we see you know the 2012 last year or you know the 2012 Olympics with the sort of blocky type and that type of thing or was it some more specific design elements No well it, it kind of stemmed from the primary mark. And then we basically had to do a kind of an alternate mark that basically signified the property side of it. So yeah, so it wasn't a, it wasn't the primary market. We you know we were we were kind of following up and building off of that program. Right. Okay. So it's it's interesting to me how big these things actually are, and how you know you can have sort of these different groups, uh, people, but also, you know, these different areas of, of a brand and what really happens with it, where sort of the elementary version of what people think about when they think about a brand is everybody sort of defaults to a logo. But in reality, there's so much more behind it in terms of the personality and this visual language that gets, gets developed behind it. Actually, uh, the icons for that Atlanta Olympics uh, just the icons for each particular sport were designed by an alumnus from the school that I went to. So I'm a, I'm a little partial to that area, but uh-huh. but you guys tend to really go, go deep on these, uh, these brands and with these style guides. And, and as far as like visual language and things, what, what does a style guide, what is a fan brand style guide basically? Like what does a style guide from fan brands consist of? And, and what do you think makes a good style guide? Another good question. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Another juicy um, because there's good ones and bad ones. Um, all of our projects really, you know, especially with an all-star project, an all-star project really brings us to cities all across, you know, every, from across the country. And so we do a real deep dive. So, uh, in terms of, uh, understanding the, you know, the, the, the host club or team or the host city, the venue, the host community, the, the, the local history, all those things. Mm. And the reason that we do all that is, you know, it, it could, number one, it could inform the primary mark, but it also informs all of the theme art and the support art that we create. So, uh, so you know, the, the most simple form and the least, least sophisticated form of branding would be, for especially for a special event, would be plopping a, one logo onto everything. And that's just not enough, you know, with all, the, with all the partners. I mean, we have constituents, all the stakeholders, we have the league, we have the franchise, we've got the title sponsor, we've got a corporate sponsors, we've got broadcast partners, we've got licensees, which is a big one, mm. venues in the community. They all have needs and then all their needs are a little bit different. And so, uh, so someone who's doing deco inside of an arena, they have very different, they have different needs than someone who's doing a t-shirt program. So, so we, we actually provide a kind of a, a very big package of art that basically deals with each one of these needs. So, and for example, a broadcast partner, and he wants to animate the, the logo for, for, the, for an opener, for a bump in. And so that means that a primary logo needs to be layered in such a way that he can actually disassemble it, you know, and deconstruct it and bring it back together in animation. So that's a very different need. We have to address that. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, a licensee, they have, the, they have the challenges of trying to produce a logo from the size of a pin to the size of a, the size of a building. So, you know, they could, be a, they could be a blinded boss on a tiny little item you know, a little pin, but then it's going to be screen printed or it's going to be embroidered or it's going to be, 
uh, you know, there's, there's all these different methods for putting it onto product. You know, there's lots of there's vinyl and there's, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So some of the other underlying needs are making sure that those things are all possible. So I think that someone who isn't in sports design and probably hasn't been around the block with this stuff probably wouldn't understand some of the thresholds in terms of, uh, mm. of fidelity, uh, color, like color mixing, you know, yeah. what sort of things are possible, what sort of things really cause a headache for all those, for some, for some of those users. So a, a good style guide uh, starts at the top of the primary logo, but then offers all versions of that logo that are needed uh, by all the different, different partners. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and to further say like, you know, to say like, what, what's, what's the fan brands like style guide, what's the fan brands approach about that's, that's a, I mean, that's a whole rundown of the technical aspect. You know, the big thing we do that we talk about it before, like these cities, you know, the cool thing and I talked about earlier, when you bring an all-star game to various cities, Detroit, New York, you're going to do something different every time. San Francisco was one in particular that was cool for us because we just knew they had more of a design sense. They were, had more of a savvy, kind of more creative vibe to that city. So that had a really minimalist poster design. We worked with uh, Michael Schwab. And what was cool with that is, is we always look for, we really do our homework, we do our groundwork. And, you know, as you know, there, they have that, that you know, McCovey Cove, right? And they have the, the tradition of those kayakers waiting for the, the, the balls to go, the home run, or even the foul balls go out. And it's such an iconic thing. And they knew pretty early on, I think, again, had a good sense that we're going to work. We're going to work with Mike on this and we're going to go for this ball, the splash down. Like, this is going to be the thing. And you know, that, 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 in that, in my feeling about the work that we do, what sets us apart with that is like, it's finding those moments and really bringing them out in the logos. Exactly. And, 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 it, and also that kind of like that, that homework is involved. Like, like for example, like for, uh, for like a, a Columbus All-Star game for, for NHL, it's coming up yeah, uh, like in a next, couple months. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked, with, I worked with a great, great creative director, Paul Conway from NHL. And we went out there and we, you know, we really took, took our time, met with the team, you know, really understood the club, the community, and then went to the local uh, museum. And, and uh, you know, with their, with their Civil War uh, history, we found these, this, this beautiful collection of flags and that really, and, and so there was a, there was the, the style of flags at that time, really, they did a lot of, they did a lot of lettering and writing along the stripes of their flags. That kind of informed a whole theme art package that basically supports that program. And so it's, uh, so that really gets used in deco, it gets used on tickets and programs and et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, it's more than the logo, you know, it's, it's more about this full toolkit of art that really is all branded. And another part of our, one of the things we usually offer in our style guides is custom font. That custom font flows from the from the primary, but allows the branding process to happen much more easily for all the people that are participating. Especially the club is going to be doing uh, promotional uh, work for the for the All Star for for a solid year ahead of time. And by just using this custom font, I mean it's instantly branded. You just instantly get it, and it makes their job much easier. But there's a you know, our our style guides are pretty extensive. I mean we we yeah. kind of you know we uh, we certainly start with the top you know, the primary marks and all the variations of those. Um, all the event marks that are surrounding it. We, you know, whether we have player art very often, theme art, background art, and then we show examples of how to kind of connect, uh, combine these things to create these different looks and feels. I mean, the idea is to make sure that anybody who wants this can be creative and supposed to just, as opposed to just taking it off the style guide and using it. We want to give them a, a sense that, oh, I see, I can re- I have lots of things here I can play with to make, create my look the way I want to. Um, because we find yeah, that- so you give them a little bit of their own um, flexibility, so that they can they can sort of own a little bit of it, even though even if it's a small piece, they can piece some things together. But at, overall, the visual look people 
like myself will recognize this as, oh, that's a part of that particular all-star game. Absolutely. Because oh, sure. yeah. overall, the design sensibility is there. We've got the fonts, we've got the colors, we've got the pattern. So all that stuff comes together in any way you want to rearrange that, it's going to come through. Yeah, and it's always cool. It is always cool to see what people do with it. So and again, just to explain, Bill's touched on the timelines, we do these things one year out. And, you know, at the time you're actually coming up to like, I'm going to go back to the, the Mets. The Mets host the All-Star Game in 2013. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun with, uh, I mean, cool that it was hosted in our, our collective backyard. You've, you've got the New York whole cityscape to work off of. What was great with that is it sort of forced ourselves to say, well, we know New York so well, we're so common to it. Uh, and I was living in Jersey City at the time. And uh, we, we had come off the Kansas City All-Star. So we're, we almost have, what you say, we have a logo in the bag and pre-released before the, the preceding All-Star, would you usually say, Bill? I think. Yeah. yeah. So that was one where we, we had looked at, we had came back from the flight in Kansas City. We were still finishing up some things with it. And what was cool in Kansas City, they celebrated like barbecue and all these local traditions. We're like, man, you know, we really just need to get a really New York-y aspect to this, this, this style guide in here. And I said, well, you know, with the way... Uh, City Field is, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it becomes like the public transit all-star game spin on this thing. And what's more iconic than the New York City subway and the tile work and the right. mosaic work. And we go, ooh, this is good. We can start spelling out all-star and mosaics and all these interesting tile um, combinations started flowing from the idea. We even typed, we even set up the players and all the, we rebuilt them in mosaic. And what I'm telling you about this is what, what's interesting is it's always so cool to see what other creative firms do with it that extend our work beyond that, how they bring it into the led boards during the game. They did like fake tile. I know Tom O'Grady works with a lot of our work at, um, uh, game plan. game plan. And he did stuff where he like replicated subway walls and put the players faces on it. So it's really cool how we can give them this creative seed to start and they, and people, people run with it, like really run with it. And, you know, that was, yeah. And, 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 and furthermore with, with the New York stuff too, we got to run with the, the iconic skyline, like the greatest skyline and yeah, like one of the most recognizable. The world. <laughs> it was like, uh, okay, so that's clearly going to be in the logo. And I think the, I think the Mets knew pretty early on, like we want our like skyline, like in the logo. We're like, okay, that's clearly going to happen. Um, the thing I enjoyed running with too, in, in the program and, and another aspect of the, the kind of work we do here is, we want the we want the event to be as and all the graphics to be like as as authentic and truthful to the area. So when you have the fans of baseball, you have these people that are coming to New York. These might be the first time some of these people have ever been out to a Mets game or or you know City Field. And uh, we knew we were going, we're going to do the skyline. There's no question, but let's orientate it from the Queen's point of view. Let's get it north. We we got a freelance photographer Bob Scott to work with us. We set him out to get the, all the area bridges. Because that's a whole iconography with their logo, right? So we did the White Stone and the 59th Street Bridge, really iconic ones. And the little tidbit I enjoyed with it is I had um, took a huge interest in the development of the World Trade Center uh, from my apartment in Jersey City. I had a view of all that. And again, doing the logo year out, I said, hey, Bill, you know, we, we, the Port Authority is projecting the schedule that that building is supposed to be done by that summer. That would be the first time we'll see that thing done. And the spire should be on that thing. So I'm going to make the bet. I'm going to bet that these guys will keep on the schedule. And we drew, like, I just enjoyed this part of it. And we drew in the finished tower. And I think I even put in Trade Center Tower 4. And, and it was just a cool, it was just a cool aspect of it to kind of say, this is New York in, in the summer of 23. And here it is. Yeah. I think another, another yeah, aspect. That's, that is cool. 
another aspect of doing that oh, kind of like more deep dives and trying to trying to anticipate, you know, and 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 be accurate to the area. Like in two and in, in two other situations, well, in Arizona, we had a situation yeah, where yeah. you know we knew the All Star was coming, and we 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 you know, we realized that uh, um, that Saddleback Mountain was going to be kind of like a, you know kind of a, a real uh, feature, you know, physical feature, visual feature from from the field yeah. and the internet landscape. Yeah, yeah. And and so. Uh, so here, here we use Google Earth, and Google Earth was able to give us a rendering of the mountain from the state, from the from the field, from the, from the ballpark, forward a year and a half to seven thirty p.m. the night of the game, like that actual start of the game. So we were able to see the way the shadows would fall on that mountain for that time, and we used that as reference when we designed the logo, which was pretty cool. That's that's great. I, that's that's probably I have the, the, hearing the story behind the Mets one is uh, that's fantastic. Um, but also this this particular the Arizona one. I mean that the the visual elements that accompany it and the simplicity of it all. It's it's a it's a, probably a favorite of mine of of your guys. I mean I just I, I enjoy how it sort of pieces together and you know I think there's something interesting with um, with these with sports design from the amateur world where, you know, you see a lot of amateurs kind of starting out. It's all about the visual. And it seems like a lot of those guys are like, let's do something really cool and whatever, but they don't really tie in these very subtle things conceptually. And that's what I really appreciate about these, these things is you look at these subtle patterns of, you know, native American history, or you look at the, you know, what does the subway wall look like and those types of things and being able to tie those into an identity. It's such a subtle thing that, that when people do, that are from the area see that and get that and understand that it's a it's a a very pleasing experience. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think I think thank you, and I think that uh, I think that those those connections have to resonate with all the stakeholders. You know, like that really, there's there's got to be a lot of people have to be happy <laughs> with oh. the way the identity comes out, how how it how it's uh, you know how it, how it gets produced. And I think that you know you you know starting with the league and the franchise and the host franchise, I mean, they both have to be on the same page and say, yeah, that is that is us. You know, so it's a we really. Yeah. It's, you really have to nail it. I mean, you really have to do your homework. There's absolutely no, there is never a an event mark that we sit down and go, let's do something cool. It's yeah. It well, never, let's just do whatever we want. It never right? starts that yeah. way. It starts with a yeah. tremendous amount of research, and yeah. we, we we document it all, and we have photographs and yeah. on tear sheets, and you know all kinds of uh, background of the area, the club, the history, the whole thing, and basically it all flows from that. Yeah, we make we make the case, we make the case, and and it's cool because like you're saying, each city offers us a whole unique situation. And, and and to celebrate that, and to find like Bill saying, find this this little aspect of the, of the area of the landscape to celebrate. It's it's yeah, it's it's always an interesting challenge. How important uh, would you say the logo is by itself? I mean, uh, you know, you guys, a friend of mine who who works in branding, we always sort of have these debates, and we look at branding in the outside world, outside of sports. That is with like the uh, the big the big major agencies like the Landors of the world and uh, Wolf Olins and those types of things where uh, you see these sort of accompanying visual design elements. Uh, one of those, and I've mentioned this on the show before actually, is the London Olympics. Like when I first saw it, I hated it. But then when I saw it being used in the real world, it was a completely different story because the thing was, even if they didn't actually include the logo in this particular piece, I knew that because of that visual style, it was the London Olympics. And to me, that's one of the biggest parts of branding. So I'm curious, with that being said, how important is the logo in this grander scheme of things in comparison? Well, certainly, I mean, I mean, the activation of it, the proper activation of it is, is critical, right? That, that's, where, that's where it kind of rubber hits the road. 
I mean, you really, I mean, if, the, if there was a, a smudge that represented something and if you really applied it beautifully, you would certainly get some continuity at least, you know? So, 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 so a, a well, a well activated brand is more successful than a great brand that's not activated very well. So, you know, what's the importance of the logo? Well, I, you know, obviously we want a great, a great mark, a great symbol, and then we want great execution. We really want the both sides, but, I, but, you know, I, I just, I just wouldn't, I mean, I just believe that the execution is just such an important part of it. It makes or breaks uh, breaks a program. Now, if you had seen a London London uh, mark and poorly executed, I think it would have been, have been a real disaster. Um, yeah, it, I agree. I mean, by seeing you know some really you know some really good design work and some of the deco, certainly. I mean, a lot, yeah, the deco was cool. A lot of our exposure, a, a lot of our exposure to it beyond the primary logos, we saw it you know around the ice rink, around you know around the venues, and you saw the execution of that deco. And that deco program is, I mean, the deco, our deco partners that uh, actually take the, the art and actually do this, do the stadium, you know, the in-stadium and around town and the, ho- you know, the hotels and all that stuff, that some of those, some of those groups are extremely talented and they really know what they're doing and they can really, they can really elevate a brand quite a bit. But uh, hell, I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there is one symbol for that, for that event and it really needs to be on target because there are, there are awful lot of situations where you don't have the opportunity to, 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 uh, activate in a bigger way you know you really are stuck with a small space and it's a single representation of that event yeah I, and i would right. just add i think it's also like or another side of it is you're saying like the importance of the logo i think the one thing that bill and i always consider is yeah there's the primary but why are we so interested in it? how's the program and how does we always kind of like i think the loose phrase we use around here we say how does it peel apart or what's the breakdown or what's the alternate you know we'll have six or seven alternate variations of a word mark given the needs of of them from all the way down to the little ASG icon. So that, yeah. you know, to have the meat in the logo, to be able to reduce it and do other word marks and it still holds the style. That's a good test of a logo to me. Yeah. And now you have a lot more visual assets that you have to provide um, th- that may be smaller too. If you think about like Twitter avatars and things like that, a longer letter mark may not work in that, that world. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a very big area. We're very interested in because, we, um, we just saw it. We did, we've seen it a lag, you know, and kind of a, a kind of adapting to that because basically, if you get a you get a small, uh, you know, Twitter Twitter forty eight pixels in it, forty eight by forty eight, you cannot just shrink a logo and put it in that space. It doesn't work, you know. And so you really do need to adapt. And you know, this is this, and you know, so part of the full branding package for for us now includes those adaptations social for social media because it's absolutely critical. And they need they need a wallpaper, you know, on Facebook, and they need you know, so there's. There's more art that's needed, and that, so that so the program has expanded. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And further, you know, the ones we, we found was interesting. We were watching. You know, the the story we enjoyed this season of baseball was the we, we thought we just felt like the Kansas City Royals were like like the winners to me. <laughs> and and I'll say it this way in regard to <laughs> social media, they picked up the most. They picked up more followers. We actually took this pulse. I think this is a side thing. But we took the we, we looked at all the numbers and they put on more they added more Twitter followers in the month of postseason baseball than the Giants did so they beat them at one thing <laughs> and that was very interesting to us because we you know to come back to the marks that Bill was talking about yeah the thing that we see that it was cool to watch how how their Twitter feed and how they just the fans were fired up and you were seeing it come through on Twitter and where does that come back to the branding. We've actually looked at evolving the, the, you know, the champion, the traditional champion mark, the AL pennant mark or something like mm-hmm. that on a cap. We've been looking at ways to show baseball. Like we want you to have a reduced version just for the postseason 
just for all the, your team's social media accounts, just to offer them that. You know? Yeah. You know, so would you guys say that identity design is sort of circling back around to the fundamentals and sort of the historic way of, you know, I remember in design school where it was like, you know, you need to have an identity that's going to work when you're designing a logo, you need to have something that's going to work in black and white, number one. And it also needs to work at the size of like a dime. So then we saw in the nineties where it was like, let's put everything in every logo and let's make it these full blown, you know, the logo itself was a full blown illustration with like 10 different colors or whatever. So do you think we're kind of reverting back to this simple world because of the internet? I think it's just gotten more sophisticated because because there's so many needs and so the you know so the programs have exploded you know in terms of the, the scope of them so um, so I, I don't think it's uh, I mean the primary logos I mean basically I think maybe we're not making as many mistakes and I think that's I don't you know there's, there's a there's a smaller group of people probably doing most of those brands and I think we you know we've all you know made a mistake somewhere along the line and said man I'll never make a, a logo that complex again because it just caused nothing but a headache. And so we don't make those mistakes anymore. But we also, I mean, as Michael was saying, in a, if we were taking any program, any of the special event program, if you look at the marks that are called, this is called the all, the main all-star logo, I mean, I could show you in almost any program, I could show you five of them, you know. From a consumer standpoint, when you look at an event, you look at the logo, you think you're looking like that. Casually, you think you're looking at the same logo, but you're actually looking at one of several. And so they're being used more specifically for the for the purpose so, so I think it's those two things. So number one is, you know, learning and from mistakes and making sure that it's, you know, it applies really well in all these different applications, digital, print, emboss, uh, you know, embroidery, et cetera. Um, that and the fact that we actually have more marks that represent the, the, the event uh, that aren't to the, to the eye. You wouldn't realize how many there are, but there's actually, if I put them all side by side, you'd say, oh, okay. Oh yeah, because there's quite a few marks that are that are all star game we, logos. We cover the walls of the studio of logos and our printouts. Yeah, yeah, geez, and you know, you just talk about the '90s. You know, there was just crazy stuff. I think people were trying back then. I mean, heck, the Devil Rays logo used to have a gradient up through the top. Yeah, and that gradient was a, was a, was a disaster for licensees. Oh my God, they, they, couldn't, yeah. they couldn't do a lot. <laughs> they couldn't do a gradient. That's not. You know, now they do more sublimation printing, which is allowing more of like they're doing more for kind of four color process printing on fabrics. Um, with a white underlayment, so it's kind of a you know it's a kind of a technical advance. It's really allowing them to now start to get away with more than they used to. But before they had that uh, technology, they they really couldn't do it. But uh, again, as 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 you know, production processes you know evolve and get better and better. We're going to be able to we're going to come back to a point where we can do more and more, um, mm-hmm. you know, and really do more complicated marks on on uh, certainly on apparel. From a process perspective, you know these these identities that you create are. Very illustrative, I guess, is is a good word for them, and they're and they're very detailed. Are you are you actually pushing these things out and showing these things in comp phases, or are you you know showing them sketches before you go do like deeper dives on these particular things? Uh, in most cases, I mean, in most cases, we as, as I said, we do this real deep dive, um, you know, kind of all the background that we can co- collect. Then we do uh, we'll generally show um, derivations, like how we can kind of exploit some aspect of it. So, so for like the, uh, so for the, the winter classic in DC, so we, here we have a, an outdoor event. It's a wonderful event. And NHL is now kind of owns, you know, New Year's day yeah. for that event. Um, and we actually started the first one. We did the first one for Wrigley field in uh, 2009. Then we did Boston, we did Pittsburgh, uh, we did Philly, and now we're doing Washington. Since we're really trying to figure out, you know, we're really trying to get the essence of the, you know, the host's uh, city. And then usually we're, usually it's in a ballpark. So we're actually doing a little bit of interesting, yeah. interesting essence. 
But for like for DC, um, just think of like the the more go to ideas. You know, you you could do one of the monuments. You know, oh you, yeah, you start there's all these things that kind of come natural. But basically, on that particular case, you know, of all these sketches that we showed and, and basically germs of ideas, one of them was retro uh, campaign campaigns. Yeah. So buttons and posters and and all this offset, you know, kind of a screen print. You know, these uh, printed yeah. uh, posters. And that was the germ of that idea. And basically that really just, so that began the process, the real, the real design process saying, we love that idea that that's got, that's got legs. Yeah. What was, it was interesting is I, I think I just sent Bill and he had a quick meeting in the, in the city. And I go, well, Bill, I think there's something, I think the first it, you know, iteration of it was um, Ovechkin. And I took him with like his, you know, his grin. I think it's like, it's, it's like this photo or maybe one of his teeth is chipped. Right. And I, I go, look at this. Let's, you know, then I get, I, I'm a big presidential kind of historian buff and, particular to the Kennedys and all that kind of things I'm interested in. So I take up all those iconic posters of John F. Kennedy. It's got that real halftone look over it. I go, Bill, this is somebody. So let's take Ovechkin. So we halftone him. We put him up like he's running for office. We're like, that's really cool. And I gave him a tear sheet in what was cool. It was like an afterthought. And Bill's talking about our process. And what's interesting with that is we kind of, I think just something you skipped over for a second is we'll just sit, we'll start, we'll say, what is every possible way we could do this logo? And in a way you're kind of vetting, what would you say? Like, you know, we kind of vet the, the ideas yeah. are a little too obvious. Yeah, so I think, I think, let's I think, not, let's not do a shooting puck off the washing line. And Maybe I, that's a little trick. I think, I think the process, <laughs> and part of the process internally, we kind of talk about, we call it going around the block. So basically oh, yeah, right. we need to kind of like get it all out of our system and basically say, okay, we did all the obvious stuff and we really hate some of these things. <laughs> But we had like to get them really on paper. Okay, yeah. then we, get, we push that out, right. of the, and then we kind of get into the, get more serious. But sometimes it's hard. You really, it's really healthy to get it out. Yes, and and what's cool is we were pushed. So yeah, our, our uh, he's now a creative. He's a, a VP at uh, VP of Paul Service. Yeah, Paul, Paul Conway. Conway. He saw that and he really saw something in it. And and so we come back and we go, okay, so how do we make the political campaign thing a logo? Literally, like yeah. that's great. How can we run with it? Because at first we went, oh, that's cool. It's a great deco thing. Oh. What, what about the logo? Yeah, and we had other ideas, and, and it was cool. So we were really, we were really pushed to find that that voice that the way you've seen it now, it's this, it's basically a, a whole playoff of what what turned into a visual history of campaign buttons, and we started figuring out that, gosh, back to Roosevelt, and even earlier, it was probably you know it was Hoover, wasn't it? And who knew that his legacy would be that he was like one of the earlier guys to do that classic uh, blue and then white stripe and then red. And we went, okay, so here was this, and here's how they did it, and, they, and it got evolved, and then Kennedy had his kind of iconic stuff, and it went all the way up through Reagan, this kind of classic look, right? And, and then, then it, was, uh, you know, it was really interesting to play off that and try to get our hands around how to turn a campaign button into a whole winter cloud, like a, like a hockey point of view. It's, I think, but also I think you know, it really has to be mentioned that basically these things really come from working with great creative directors, you know, like oh, yeah. working with Paul Conway and, and NHL, I mean, he saw, you know, it's like without him kind of like we, we're kind of bringing a lot of stuff to the table. If he doesn't see that, you know, that germ of that idea, we know, I mean, he's, you know, he says, yeah, I, I see something there. Mm. And we kind of, and we basically kind of work as a team and we kind of bring it to life, you know, but that's really, I mean, without him doing that, it's uh, you, where do you go? You know, oh, yeah. so it's really, we have to give a lot, a lot of credit to Paul and, and, and OC over baseball as well. Well, that's great. I want to talk a little bit about uh, MLB a, a little more. I know we've been kind of talking about all-star logos and things like that, but uh, I know that episode three guest, Todd Radom, run, tends to run in this as well. Uh, it's sort of, I guess, maybe a little well-known for people that, that work with maybe some of the bigger brands in sports, and especially the leagues. Uh, they tend to be a little more guarded on their 
on their work in terms of what can you show, what can you say that you did. I mean, even Nike, you know, the consumer brands will do this. So I was just curious on your site, you know, you have the Tampa Bay Rays and you guys do work team identities as well as these all-star or event identities. And so I'm just curious, how do you determine what you can be shown, you know, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays versus what cannot be shown. And do you ever run into issues where not being able to show stuff maybe limits ability to get further work? Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, in, in that case, I mean, we have a contract with Major League Baseball, so we basically, we're just, we're just uh, not able to, to, to share certain things. Um, I think in the case of the Rays, uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, a writer, Jonah Carey, who wrote a book called The, uh, the Extra 2%. How Wall Street Strategies Took a Major League Baseball Team from Worst to First. So he did it, you know. So he did a lot of investigation. He he kind of he kind of portrayed the entire, you know, all of the building of that of that team, you know, and basically you know the purchase of it by Sue Sternberg and all the process that went into uh, changing that team and turning them into a winning team, including the branding process and the rebranding. And so we were featured in that um, in those in parts part of those interviews. So. Due to that, I mean, I think that's why we I, we feel comfortable talking about that because at that point it was, uh, it was published. It was published. So, um, but for that, for other for other for other franchises that we worked with, we, we just were not able to talk about it. And, and, and in terms of hurting, I mean, I would I would love to be able to publish everything we do for everyone. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And, and some and some in some in a lot of cases we just can't, and that's just uh, the agreement we have, and we're grateful for the work. So we uh, so we certainly are not going to. Uh, yeah, and I think Todd said it once. Todd's been on some of Buster Only's podcasts, and, and Todd, I don't know if this is mentioned, Todd, Todd and Bill go way back. We, we've, we've collaborated with him in certain logos and such, and I've gotten to know him as well. And uh, I thought he said it so perfectly. He said, he says, well, it's like being a, a speechwriter for the president, okay? Can't tell you what I did, but uh, you've seen the work. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that. So uh, we're in a very similar situation, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, we, we, we may not see any subtle, you know, if, if, if the fan brand's account retweets a new identity design for X, you know, team, <laughs> it's not officially admitting it, but it's a subtle, subtle thing that we might be able to say, hey, you know, maybe they worked on that. <laughs> Well, we're also, and we're also fans, though, of all the chains. You know, sure. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. So, so what is the difference is? Let's talk about the differences, though, in designing for an event versus designing a team identity. I mean, both have location involved. How do you approach? Is the approach different for each one? Yeah, well, I would say for sure. I mean, you know, a special event is, uh, you know, is is such a different fan fan experience. Um, uh, you know, I mean, fans are the most passionate brand, you know, owners, you know, consumers. because they are consumers and owners. But actually, the only reason I'm calling them owners is because, I mean, a fan, a, a, a really hard fan, they, they really feel like they own part of the team. I mean, they, they really take, they take ownership in a way that nobody does. I mean, no one thinks of like uh, dial, you know, dial soap or, you know, chloride you know, or all the million brands, you know, United, United Airlines. No one thinks of it like I own them, you know, yeah. but basically you get a Red Sox fan who been with the Red Sox for their entire life. They, you start messing with their yeah. identity. You no, like, you are messing with something great deeper than yeah. There's nothing wrong with logo. Don't touch it. Yeah. The oh visual mark. So <laughs> yeah. So the passion that's kind of connected with uh, with a, with a fan and a, and, a, and a franchise is just so much so mm-hmm. much more intense. Um, an Trend, event, an event, you know, event. We're you know we're trying we're celebrating a lot of things. We're celebrating the, the best of the best coming to the field. They're celebrating their favorite players. You know, they're, you're celebrating the city, the club. You know, all the entire experience. Um, and a, and a, a team franchise. You're 
You are you are trying to capture the essence of a club. You're thinking about the the, the equity of the of the club, the you know the name, the brand, the colors, you know all these and, and their history. I mean, it's, it's you can't ignore any of those things in any in any real way. They has to be all on the table, and the decision is much much more thoughtful. I mean, it's not that the, that the, you know events is, is thoughtful, but the, the team and our franchise design is the stakeholders are really put their energy into it from their side and us from our side to make sure that we have really thoroughly investigated it. And we, yeah. So it's a, think, nothing gets done. Nothing gets done quickly on a, for a team franchise. Yeah. And they know what they want. You know, they usually come to us with a, pr- a very clear vision. Yeah. Know? I mean, like the, uh, it was Sternberg, the race. I mean, he, he, he came to that table and he knew that the Tampa Bay devil rays was the, the image of that club. He felt it was a little bit, you know, it needed to be, become more, more sophisticated. It needed to be, you know, upgraded. He, you know, he actually mentioned, you know, look at the Yankees identity, you know, uniform and identity. That's what I want. Something that, you know, with some dignity. And, um, and which, so, which is kind of a daunting creative brief. At first when I heard that too, it was like, ah, okay. Yeah. That's, that's one of the best. I, that's one of the best logos period, you know, identities period and, and <laughs> yeah, consumer yeah. sports, whatever. It's just iconic with the U S and a oh city, God. you know? Yeah, so it's a, you know, so it's just, so it's a, it's just a different animal. You know, like for, so for the ducks, we you know, did the the, the uh, Anaheim the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, which was a which which was a, a Disney owned uh, team, and that was a you know it, it was a little bit juvenile in, in flavor. And so when the Samuelis, Henry and Susan Samueli bought the club, they're they're you know Orange County residents. They uh, vowed to keep the team in Orange County, and they wanted to they wanted to get rid of the uh, the you know the, the Disney uh, duck kind of representation. And so that was a really fun, fun project, but they all took it now, but really, so we got a little bit of orange in there, basically representing Orange County. That's we, we simplified, we basically reduced it from, from a cartoon duck. We reduced it to a, a duck foot, which was a D, you know, in a D form. So we really kind of walked away, you know, made some distance between a cartoon, you know, image and a more sophisticated image. I mean, it was really, it was tough to, you know, I, I can understand you could imagine with the duck, the, more of a cartoon kind of a, uh, an image them going up against the against a oh, yeah. you know some of the other teams uh, you know in the league it was just a it just seemed a it seemed a little credibility question yeah, it was, yeah, it was so tough you know? how like yeah it was interesting it's, it, when I came to the studio those were some of the early projects I worked with Bill on I kind of maybe say like you know I cut my teeth on the Rays and I certainly learned so much then with him uh, Bill was directly involved with a lot of the meetings in the city and the interesting thing with both those projects is we we had to kind of grow up two identities and we did them with like two years back to back right we did ducks in, in, in 05 and then we did raids in 06 and 07 and then they rolled out the identity in 05 and um, you know the interesting thing there is that those teams didn't want to acknowledge their visual history and they wanted to start fresh in a way and some of the challenges I want to just go back to the raids for a second is that um as, as kind of one of these behind the, behind the scenes story, the, the interesting thing that came up was like how they they said we are parting with the devil. We're, we're driving the devil out of Florida or something. There was some phrase, some joke kind of thing. They said, and and, and to and to make it make it to classy, make it really legitimate, make it make it this like time honored team that's going to last for the future. And Stu had a vision for that. But the really interesting uh, challenge that came to that is, is okay, so it's not the devil ray, the the, the swimming ray per se. It's going to be the sun ray. And it was like, oh, kind of like Bill was saying with the duck, not the most competitive thing that comes to mind. Like, how do you make the team look, we're not going to say the fierce animal look, but how do you just make them look legitimate, legitimized? And that was a huge challenge to figure out the, the sun aspect. We thought it had first a lot to do with how light affects type. We also thought 
you know, we looked at, you know, Bill said earlier, it was like, uh, it was like drawing a rainbow. Like, in, in, yeah. in, you know. And you think about what a ray looks like, a sun like, ray. It was how like, do you make that competitive? It was like, it was very difficult to make that, uh, you know, sophisticated. It felt like, a, yeah, I felt like drawing a rainbow, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like kind of a unicorn, you know, it's like. Ah, it's like a, you're going to probably get like a bad sunburn, like that. Ah. But, um, and just a little side note there is what, what was, uh, we talked about visual investigations. We thought this, how we kind of proceed in a project. Uh, after a, a cult, like it was in the middle of January, we had left early on a baseball meeting. I came back to Jersey City and uh, I had some time to run to the hardware store. And we were convinced that the visuals of how maybe light affected something could be interesting. So I buy one of those metal bronze pieces of type that you might stick on your mailbox, raised type, right? And I go up to, to uh, the rooftop of my apartment building and I start bright, bright sunny day, but that late setting sun in the winter. And I'm I'm, I'm holding the camera in one hand with a glove and then the, in the four in the right hand, and I'm kind of like looking at every angle and clicking, 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 clicking. And eventually the four kind of casts over the sun setting. I go, ooh, and I hold it right up and got this glint. It's, ooh, this little beam of light hits the corner of it. I go, ooh, that's something. And I just keep clicking around and I come back the next morning. So Bill, this is really interesting. Look how this, this is, it's literally making a gleam. And then I think we coined the phrase glint. Kept calling it the glint in the studio. And, and then that was the thing we gave them that we felt made the thing be like, there, see, you now are the rays of sun in Florida. It works. And that was just kind of an interesting thing, how it came about. That's great. It's the, the creative process sometimes is a, a very uh, crazy thing. <laughs> and, and also unexpected that the Florida uh, glint of light actually came to be in New Jersey City. So, sorry. Yeah, yeah there you sorry, go. Sorry, race there you fans. Go. A little gloomy. Uh, all right. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you guys, you incorporate a lot of player art into your, your brand activations. And when you're building these things, uh, you know, when, when somebody sort of gets into this niche, the sports niche, you start to see from the, from the, the companies that are out there, like how small, I guess it is. Everybody sort of knows each other. If not personally, then they know of each other. Have you, has, have you found that that has sort of become your trademark uh, for fan brands with incorporating the player art into most of your pieces? Um, I have noticed that I've, there's a little bit of player arts missing in some of the, program, the programs oh, that we I'm don't do. do. I, mean, I certainly have noticed that. Um, we, you know, as far as I've always been, in, in my mind, it's always been a needed part of the art because um, it, of all the people that are using it, especially the sponsors, uh, they're always building, you know, building some sort of a, a sponsorship kind of a, you know, graphics and framing, framing a message um, with two players is like a kind of a go-to solution, a graphic solution. So they're just dying for that kind of art. I mean, it just really kind of sets them up quite easily. So it's a, uh, we've just always, uh, we just always felt it was important and it also kind of sets a tone. Um, we you know, we, we really had a lot of personality to the, uh, to the overall uh, program by how you illustrate these players, you know, how, how animated, how real, how mm-hmm. sentimental they are. I mean, there's really, there's lots of different approaches and, We've done, I mean, we've done, I don't know how many, we've got lots and lots and lots of sets of players, of, you know. Yeah, we have libraries. Uh, we've, we've got, <laughs> I mean, I mean, dozens and dozens of, of uh, sets of players. Um, the other interesting part of play, doing players, the challenge is we can't represent anybody in particular. So it's, uh, we right. have. And, and even by batting post, batting style, all that, yeah. We've, we've tried, we've tried uh, tracing, up, tracing up, you know, using a reference uh, photo and tracing it up and illustrating it all up from that thing and then showing it and say, oh, they know who it is. Nope. <laughs> Somebody else. Wow. 
That's how Bryce Harper, you know, yeah, goes down yeah. the field or something. They'll, they'll, you know? they'll yeah. get it. So basically, we're we're unable to use uh, any particular photograph uh, to do it. We really have to kind of do it from so scratch. Sleight of hand. Yes. So it's wow. a. But it's interesting because you get a lot of different styles. It makes it makes it makes every program fresh. Yeah, and, you know, we always work with different kinds of illustrators when when that, and that's cool. And that brings a whole other voice to it, which is cool. Their style. Yeah, right. We've never, and, right. You know, we we either do it in house or we work yeah, with outside yeah. illustrators depending on the style we're looking for. But uh, like Michael Schwab was very well known in San Francisco. He was a natural uh, natural for that project. Yeah, and, and that you know that's there, there. You go. I mean, being able to tie in somebody who is maybe specific to an area that really kind of bring, uh, brings it back home even more. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, that was, and then we, there was another member in uh, Pittsburgh. We worked with, uh, Burton Morris. Burton Morris. Yeah. He's a pop artist. And, uh, mm-hmm. he, he created a bunch of art for us. That was, uh, that was yes, awesome. And then, um, Orange County was, uh, Oh, Nancy Stahl. Nancy Stahl. Nancy Stahl. For the, yeah. So we've done a lot of, and then, the All-Star in, uh, and then just as recently, I know you, you did that, uh, you know, thanks again for that. You put that nice piece up on our Cincinnati All-Star that was unveiled in August. And, uh, yeah, that, that's been cool because we just they, they came to us and said well, we want to celebrate that we're the oldest uh, we're the oldest professional baseball team in America. Yeah, and and so we went all like eighteen eighties kind of turn of the century. So that was like all this etching stuff was explored and that was cool. So we were I mean, that's a, yeah I mean, that, I, I, that's a good concept. I I like how you sort of change your site up that day for or that for a short period of time. The engraving company. <laughs> oh, that was fun. You know, and, and you could see that that would only come from a studio that spent so much time. That was cool with that project. We went through, again, I was saying I'm, I'm a bit of a history buff. I come to Bill, I said, boy, we're going to spend a lot of time in the, uh, the National Archives and Library of Congress collections online because they have such cool typography digitized. That's all part of that, you know? Yeah, you know, right. Played around on their site. It was really fun to flip through. So as we did so much intense uh, visual investigation of what, what this, what the Reds looked like back then. And we looked at the old stadiums they had and the palace of the fans and celebrating all this. I go, you know, Bill, I have such these, you know, these funny images come up my, on my, my searches of like old studios and old rotor, like these really old phones from the twenties. I go, you know, when they unveil the logo, you should like totally Photoshop ourselves in. I'm like those pinhole cameras where like, you can't move and you have to hold your head really still and look weird in the picture. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say I'm, I'm I enjoy that one. I'm pretty partial to that one for many reasons. Uh, a couple of those being that um, I'm in a Cincinnati TV market. Uh, right. Lexington yeah. is about an hour and a half from Cincinnati. Okay, cool. Um, so that, and then also my first cousin is actually Matt Carpenter, who plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. And this is uh, maybe an opportunity to go to an All Star game fairly close, and hopefully next year he makes a team and get to see him play. So absolutely, oh, totally cool then- stuff. Also, also love the mustache. That's there. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, a nice, nice touch. I, I'm going to transition just a little bit here and, and, and segue into something that is not necessarily related to sports, but Michael, you know, as I was uh, reading your bio and we've kind of, we've talked on Twitter for a while, uh, but I saw you had an inter- an interesting project with nine 11. Uh, and I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about it. Oh, the, uh, the, the, my, uh, well, you know, same with the Mets thing in my view. Yeah, I was fortunate to do uh, uh, time-lapse. I started doing time-lapse uh, from, my, from my condo in Jersey City for, for people listening more through, through, the, through the U.S. To get specific, the, the Jersey City is really close to lower Manhattan. Matter of fact, like our downtown area just lines up a straight line to the World Trade Center site. And the path ride is like seven minutes away. So you're, 
you're, you're really close. You're really close to the Lower Manhattan neighborhood. And I really got to intimately know it when I moved there. I moved there in uh, 2005. So it was a few years before that. And that, that whole space was just a pit for so long. And in the decade I was in Jersey City, it was really interesting just to watch, uh, watch it come back to life. And uh, yeah, basically I started training my cameras on the skyline. And we started seeing how, you know, hey, soon enough, that tower is going to break the the buildings around it. It's going to break through the skyline again. It's going to reclaim its place. And that was late 2011. So I, I did, uh, yeah, I did dedicated time lapse, and I kept that up for uh, about like yeah, almost like almost two years. because they topped out the spire in, in uh, May of 2013, and we were talking about the, uh, the Mets All Star. So I had a, a really good eyeball on that. And 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 again, it was fun to to kind of roll that experience into the into the studio work. That was cool for me, but. Uh, yeah, just to get to the quick the, the 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 outcome of what you're talking about is, I got yeah I got contacted, you know it's amazing how you know the internet works and Twitter and how people find you. Uh, there was a, a very ambitious production being filmed for the topping off of the spire specifically. So they had found a couple of my clips through YouTube. I don't usually put uh, too much stuff on YouTube. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Vimeo. And uh, boy, this producer called me and man, he was real excited to find me because he goes. Well, you've committed to this camera angle, and it was cool with some of the some of the zooms and the telephotos I could use. I could like literally get the iron workers coming in in the morning to work, and you could literally see them like welding stuff and standing on the face of the building as the as, as these huge beams are getting zipped up to them. And zipped up, I mean, as a general term, <laughs> through time lapse. Of course, I'm speeding all these things up, and I just shared my portfolio work with him, and he was just thrilled to to review a lot of it. He liked a lot of the, they liked uh, the way New Jersey lines up with the sunrise. You, you'll get the, you get the sun setting behind the trade center and you'll see, see it through all the ironwork. It's, it was great. It was just a, it was an experience in my life. I felt very fortunate to witness the rise of that building, especially in being here. I was in college when that happened. I donated blood that day. I mean, it was just something that I know even, you know, like that just affected a lot of, got affected so many people in this area. And I think, I mean that by like affected a generation. And so I felt strongly about producing a positive uh, piece about it to just show the rebuilding and show the completion of this, this symbolic tower. So uh, yeah, thanks for asking about that. I hope that answers it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great, man. I I thought that was really interesting and and I wanted to kind of let you be able to tell, tell the story about that. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, guys, uh, we, we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, I've, I've held you for, for quite a while, and <laughs> we chatted for a bit before. Uh, but I, I do, uh, do want to say I love the studio. I've seen the photos of it. Uh, great job on that. It's, it's, it's awesome. Hopefully I can see it in person one day, maybe, maybe make that happen sure. if I get up that way. You have to come to the church. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, one last thing, where can, uh, where can our listeners support you online? Be that following you on Twitter or, you know, if you have personal, you know, Michael, I know that you have a separate Twitter account than the fan brand. So I, let I them do. know. Well, you'd find us that it's at fan brands. It's F-A-N-B-R-A-N-D-Z. And uh, mine is at Rage Studios, but uh, you'll just find me tweeting about the, uh, you know, either airliners or the World Trade Center or something like that. Probably, probably retweeting a lot of fan brands things too. Um, yeah, come to our site and see that. Uh, see us, yeah, fanbrands.com. Um, fanbrands. Uh, yeah, we're, we're yeah. We'll, we always are. We're active with Twitter. And we have stuff to say about, or you know, when we have a logo unveiling, it's always fun to kind of kick some stuff around, kick some visuals. There was a little closing thing. We just wanted to. Two things I want to mention just before we go. You, you were asking about my film work. 
Um, you know, the cool thing with this studio and the, and the kind of things we like to do as well is Bill's been really great to let me extend my talents of film work over back to, to this studio. And, um, you know, we were touching so much on All Star. And I, I just feel like the one thing that we may have just, I don't want to go without mentioning how, how much we, uh, you know, we, the, the other component is fans and, and fan loyalty. And uh, just something that you might get a kick out of watching again, we did, we had the benefit of the Mets All-Star being, being in our backyard, so we had our whole crew there. And we went around with an idea that started in Kansas City, and we said, you know, we flew out, we said, oh, you know, it'd be cool something to do with the blog in, when we were in Kansas City. So we ought to hunt down one fan for every team. It was like, like a scavenger hunt. And it really became fun because they were so excited to be involved with that idea. And we'd run around, we're like, hey, we're getting photos, one fan for, you know, I think we threw the photos on Facebook and the blog at the same time. And so we're going to get all the fans, every one fan before first pitch, right? And believe you me, finding a Seattle Mariners fan in Kansas City is like really hard. <laughs> we did, right in. Uh, and so this idea evolved and, and we're always looking like, you know, cool ways to get our, our name out to show the work, what we do, but, but show it in a different way and talk about fan passion and, and kind of just showing how we, really kind of get that and we love talking to the fans. So we, we kind of, uh, you know, built off that idea and we went and we said, well, let's go to the Mets all-star. We're going to find one fan and we're going to interview each fan and have them talk about where you, what was it? It was 30 fans, 30 cities. And they, they talked about, you know, what's your loyalty and have you moved around and were you partial to your team? Did you, did it stick with you? Did you move? Did, did it stay with you? Did you change? Um, and kind of like people have like the, the most interesting answers, right? Right. I think I think one of the one of the thing, one of our hunches from the previous year from 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 Kansas City is we realized you see somebody walking around with a Cardinals jersey and they lived in uh, L.A. Yeah, that's right. You know, transplants. Our, they, all, oh, these transplants right. all these so transplants. All these transplants that they they yeah. stayed so loyal to their team. So and they're like the yeah. they're the loudest, proudest fans walking around. So we said we kind of have a hunch if we go out and find one, you know, people who are wearing the jersey and are big fans of a team, we find one from every club. We bet you, you know, that more than half of them are going to not yes. live in the city anymore. Right. They're going to be someplace right. else, still supporting their team with passion. And it was true. And, and we it found was that very up. much true. And that's the way it worked out. And we, so we have a video on actually on our, our blog. It's on our blog. It's on our Vimeo account. You know, if you wanted to drop some of the audio in, if you want to get, there's the first few fans. There's this Detroit Tigers fan, and we're like, yeah, how long have you been a Tigers fan? He's like, uh, you know, that's a good question. You know, <laughs> you just, it's, it's so honest to baseball because it's just like you're meeting. It's like doing the all-star logo. You're just like, you're meeting the Midwest version. Like this is the Midwest baseball way. This is, you know, um, you should draw yeah. audio in of that. It's really funny. So uh, well, that's that, cool, man. That's, shoot me, shoot me the link on that. And I'll, I'll, I'll at the very minimum, I'll, I'll include it in the, in the show notes. Oh, I yeah. think that's a great, that's a great story. The that's, that's one of the beautiful things about the, this niche and doing the things that we do in this particular niche. I know it's always a running joke on the show, but nobody gets a tattoo of Tropicana. You know, <laughs> that's, right. Right. We're, we're that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, be sure to follow these guys, fan brands. And uh, my next guest is actually going to, going to be Aaron Masick. Aaron is, he's actually had a cameo on the show before, I believe in episode nine, uh, which was rare design. He, he asked Rodney Richardson a question. Uh, so Aaron's a designer for the San Antonio Spurs. Him and I have had many conversations about professionalism and designs, uh, value in sports, including the topics of free internships, salaries, and things like that. So it may be a little controversial. Uh, it's going to be fun to talk about those things. We'll shed some light on those topics and more on the next show. Big thanks again to Bill and Michael of fan brands for 
for taking the time to join the show. Uh, again, be sure to follow their agency on Twitter at Fan Brands, uh, and that's with a Z, uh, F A N B R A N D Z. Uh, as always, I've got a couple announcements. Halftime is coming in early 2015. Halftime is a 20 minute solo podcast, which is between the weeks of interviews where I discuss business, freelance, and professionalism. Those 20 minutes are an obvious reference to the 20 minutes of halftime in most sports. Also, very soon, going to have an official Makers of Sport Google Hangout where we'll get together, talk shop, sports news, uniform news, logos, whatever you want to talk about and more. Be sure to watch for the details on that Makers of Sport Twitter, uh, at Makers of Sport. And on the last episode, I announced a community Coming in early 2015, the community is going to be a monthly subscription where we will have access to private forums, private critique areas, live podcasts. Uh, so you could very well be listening to this live if when the community is is available. Uh, live chat and more. To hear more details about it, check out the last episode with Matt Walker. And lastly, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at T Adam Martin as well as the show at Makers of Sport. And again, stop what you're doing right now. Go to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and check that five-star mark or leave a review. Uh, it's a huge, huge compliment to both the guests and myself when you do that. So if you enjoy the content that these guys uh, just, just dropped on you and the knowledge that they gave you, then please go do that. Also, take reviews on Stitcher SoundCloud or whichever application you happen to be listening in. I'll see you on Twitter. Uh, again, check out the website, makersofsport.com. Until next time, have a good week. Have a good week.